Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church on this snowy weekend. And if you're keeping track, that's two in a row. Uh, last weekend and this weekend. And I know he's a busy God with a lot of things to do. But join me in reminding him that if, in fact, he thinks we need more moisture during the winter, there's a midweek. It can come on Wednesday or Thursday. Doesn't always have to fall on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. So join me in that prayer. Would you do that? Okay. Appreciate you being here, like Pastor Dan said. Thank you so much for making a special effort. Today's the third installment of our 2020 vision series. And as we begin this morning, what I'd like to do is review the passage that we've been looking at now for the past couple of weeks, our theme passage for this series. It's found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Paul writing says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of you, how many? All of you who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And one translation says, God will clear your blurred vision. God will clear our blurred vision. That's the goal of this series, to enter into 2020 with clear spiritual vision, to begin this new year with fresh vision and fresh purpose and determination. And I know I'm talking to the right group of people. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm convinced of it, that Community Christian Church, the people of our church, have big hearts for God. Am I right? I know I am. And so two weeks ago, in lesson number one of this series, on the authority of God's word, namely the passage we've been looking at here in Philippians chapter 3, I told you that the absolute best activity that we can involve ourselves in to kickstart an improved and corrected 2020 vision is to let go of the past. Remember me saying that? I said it two weeks ago, I said it last week, I'm saying it again today. Could I get you to say that? Let go of the past. One more time. Let go of the past and get beyond a mistake and miscue mentality. And again, as I mentioned to you over the past couple of weeks, we all make mistakes. The scripture says we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark and come short of the glory of God. But the good news is, scratch that, the great news is that when we make mistakes and when we 
confess those mistakes to God, when we ask God to forgive us and we repent of our ways, what does he do? He forgives us. That's what the scripture says. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if we can't get past our shortcomings and failures, or if we can't get past somebody else's shortcomings, say the people who offend us, then we will continually walk around with a distorted view and vision of who God is. And so, lesson number one, let go. Lesson number two, move on. Let go and move on. Not necessarily let go and let God this time around. Let go and move on. That is classic Philippians 3. And Paul said it this way. We just read it. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forth or straining forth to what lies ahead. And those two actions are not the same. In fact, they're very different. And many, many people today, good Christian people, they can receive forgiveness and even extend it. But oftentimes we have a little trouble taking the next step and pressing on in God. And this is what... uh, Paul is attempting to articulate and communicate to us in this powerful passage the importance of pressing on in God. And he said, the only way that you can do that, the only way you can get past your mistakes and past your failures and continue to reach and press on in God is with a fresh revelation of Jesus. Doesn't have to be brand new, just clear and focused a fresh revelation of Jesus. And last Sunday, I gave you a glimpse of one of those. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and you know I love this passage. Therefore God has highly exalted him to the highest place. No place higher. Given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord He's what? He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I mentioned to you that in order to get ourselves into this press on in God posture, we have to learn what it means to fully surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Remember I talked all about the Lordship of Jesus last week. Not just securing our salvation, identifying Jesus as our Savior, but our Savior and Lord. And let me just say that making sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's amazing, and you will want to do that, because that's the promise of eternity with the Father forever and ever, but as believers moving on in God, pressing on in God, we have to get past the Savior part and go after Lordship. Lordship is really important. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is to continue right where we left off last week and once again focus the majority of our attention for the next few minutes on Jesus. And over the years, I've learned whenever Jesus is the main character or the main theme of a message, you really can't go wrong. And so we're going to focus our attention once again on Jesus. And that kind of reminds me of a a conversation I had with a gal 
who attends Community Christian Church. She told me that about 18 years ago, so what is that, uh, 2002, about 18 years ago, uh, her and her husband were looking for a home church. So they visited several churches in this area, including our church. And their only requirement for returning to the church for a second visit was the pastor had to say something about Jesus during his message. That's all they required, that's all they wanted to hear, was just a mention, an honorable mention of Jesus. Say the name of Jesus. And believe it or not, two or three churches did not pass the test. But thankfully, I was up that day when they visited for the first time, and by the grace of God, my message was on Jesus. And so they came back for a second visit and then back after that, and they have been faithful, loyal members here at our church for the past 18 years. And so if on your way to church this morning, you prayed, or maybe during the worship time, and you said, Lord, if you really love me, and if you care about me, and if you, you know what I'm going through and how desperately I need you, then just have the speaker or the pastor say something about Jesus. If that was your prayer, then you have your answer because we're going to talk about him. So he does love you. He cares about you. God understands what we're going through, and he's a good God. All right, let's look at one additional passage of Scripture here in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And if you've been paying attention, then you know those two verses, 10 and 11, immediately precede the passage we've been looking at. Verses 12 through 15. In Philippians chapter 3, 10 and 11, Paul says, or rather Paul cries out, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, I read those two verses, and I say to myself, what a prayer. What a great desire. And when you break it all down, Paul said, I want to know Jesus in a practical and relatable way. And I want to understand and experience the freedom and the power there is in his resurrection. And I even want to have the same attitude that Jesus had when he was facing all of his trials and all of his trouble and suffering. And I think for a believer, you can't get a better spiritual desire than that one. And Paul just it communicates it to us. He says, I just want to know him. And so please understand at this point that Paul has experienced a good deal of ministry success, when he cried out to know Jesus, when he was saying, I want to experience his resurrection, I want to have fellowship and share in his suffering, he had already been doing some great things for the kingdom of God. He was on the mission field. He had planted some churches. He was raising up pastors and Christian leaders. And everywhere he went, the anointing of God fell upon him, and he preached the power of the gospel. And people got saved. They got healed, they got set free, they were baptized and brought into the kingdom of God. But Paul says, for me, that's not enough. I want more than just simply bumping up my personal resume or adding to my list of accomplishments. I need an ongoing 
fresh revelation of Jesus. Paul is saying this. Paul says, I want to know him better. I want to get a clear vision of who Jesus is. And that requires a holy impartation of the presence and power of God in my life. This is the apostle Paul who already had this unbelievable relationship with God. And he was crying out for more of God. Crying out for his presence, wanting to know him. And friends, this is the very thing that we've been doing next door in our youth center for the past two weeks. All during our prayer and fasting time. We have been crying out to God with passionate hearts. At the beginning of this year, we started a 20-day period of prayer and fasting. And we have come before the Lord expecting God to hear our prayers and to respond to us. And we have desired, just like Paul, his presence. Because we know that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We know that. And so we only have one week left, this week. And I believe the best is yet to come. And for those of you who have yet to experience anything of what we've been doing next door, I want you to be there. I want you to be a part of it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and entice you with a Bible story here that highlights the power of prayer. And by telling this story, I'm hoping that just maybe I'm going to push you over the edge so that you will make a commitment to come and be with us at some point during this week. And I know you're busy. I know there's probably some things going on in your life, but I want to appeal to you. Don't miss out on one of these opportunities to seek the Lord together with us. So let me tell you this story. This story uh, is found way back in the Old Testament in 2 Kings. It's during the time frame when a man by the name of Hezekiah became king. And the scripture tells us that Hezekiah was one of the good guys that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible also tells us that there was no king among all the kings of Judah like Hezekiah, either before him or after him. And that's a pretty significant distinction there in light of the fact that King David was one of the kings of Judah. And as you well know, he was a brilliant king, probably the greatest king in the history of Israel. And Hezekiah is put in the same league as David. Same category. And early on, uh, when he was reigning, Hezekiah reopened the temple doors. If you can believe it or not, the temple doors had been locked shut for several years because of the evil reign of King Ahaz. But Hezekiah went to work with the Levites and the priests to reopen the doors and establish worship among God's people. And he removed all the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. He tore down all of the altars that were built to uh, to, um, Baal and all the false gods. And he did his very best to once again open the temple of God and to have ministry taking place in the temple. And after Hezekiah did all of these things, the people of God, they enjoyed a time of peace and rest and even some spiritual revival. And right around that time, a man by the name of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, one of Israel's fierce enemies, he marched on Jerusalem and he captured all of the fortified cities. 
And with his army in place, he presented a great threat to the people of God. And the only way that King Hezekiah could stave off or prevent a total massacre was with, was with unconditional surrender. That's what Sennacherib was demanding. And so he said to Hezekiah, you lay down your weapons and you come out with your hands up or else. And Hezekiah knew that Sennacherib was not bluffing because he was a maniac, a cold-blooded killer. And so Hezekiah called for the prophets and he began to pray. And in an effort to intimidate Hezekiah and fill him with fear, Sennacherib sent him an ultimatum. He sent him a letter that was handwritten. And here's what the letter said. Dear Hezekiah, I hope that you have not decided to put your trust in Jehovah God because that would be a mistake. Please tell me that you are not going to follow the faith of your forefathers who have deceived you into thinking that you could defeat me or overcome me. Because I want to tell you, Hezekiah, if you do not fully surrender, I will kill with the sword every man, woman, and child and utterly destroy you and your nation. Now, how many of you know that's not really good news? In fact, that was terrible news. And I can envision Hezekiah opening that letter, reading it, and thinking to himself, this has got to be the absolute worst news that I've ever heard in my life. And there's a lot of that going around these days. Death and darkness. Depressing news all around us. It just seems like as we begin this new year with so much hope and so much expectation that we've been hit with bad news after bad news. That's what Hezekiah received. But I want you to see how he responded. I want you to see what he did with that letter containing this horrendous news. It's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread out the letter before the Lord. Do you see that? A couple of you, or do you all see that? Okay, all right. I want you to get that image in your mind. I want you to create a mental picture of Hezekiah taking that letter with that really bad news, that devastating news, and laying it on the platform, just spreading it out before the Lord. And then he prayed up a storm. After he took that letter to the house of God, he set it out before the Lord, and he prayed. 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 15. O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. How many? You are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. 
They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they're not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. That's a faith-filled prayer, would you say? I mean, facing destruction and decimation. Hezekiah cries out to God, and he's filled with faith, and he's filled with passion and trust in God. And I want you to tell me again, where did Hezekiah pray that prayer? In the temple, at the altar in the temple. So check it out. He received this letter from messengers when he was at home in the palace. And he walked that letter over to church, to the temple, and he laid it out before the Lord, and he prayed. You know, there's a time to pray at home. And I appreciate all of you who have communicated to me over the past couple of days that you've literally taken the prayer and fasting into your house. And you've created family prayer altars and you've been praying together as a family, I commend you for that. You know, there's a time to pray in your car, on your way to work or on your way to school, on your way home, maybe you're stuck in traffic. As you move from place to place and you just turn the radio on and you put a worship song in and you you worship the Lord or you pray. You know, there's nothing wrong with spending a little time during the day in your office, maybe close your office door on a break or a lunch break and, and cry out to God. Nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, I engage in those kinds of activities almost on a daily basis. But listen to me now because this is the truth. There's nothing like being in church in the presence of God when you have a prayer request. When you can come into his house and lay out your needs on the altar. Be standing next to another brother or sister in the Lord, faith-filled, crying out to God with the same passion, looking to the one who has a name that's above every name. It doesn't get any better than that. That's the power of being together in prayer. And I want you to experience that because it will change you. It will do your soul good. And so if you haven't, been able to make one of our prayers up to this point, I understand, but I appeal to you to try and get to church one of the next few days. We have services on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. In the evening at 7 o'clock, Monday and Wednesday, one hour, that we're just here for an hour. And then on the weekend, there's the Joy Conference. You can come for as much as you want or as little as you want. It won't cost you anything except a little bit of time. And I promise you, It will fill you with faith. It will do your heart good. You will be so energized because of the atmosphere of God. Do yourself a favor and make it. Okay, the last couple of weeks, as I mentioned, as we've been seeking God and and praying, we have felt his tangible presence. God has graced us with his presence. Every time we come together, and it all starts with a deep desire to know him, to echo the words that Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. And as a part of this powerful statement here in Philippians 3.10, Paul said, not only do I want to know him better, but I want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. 
Let me say that again. I want to share in the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Did you ever think about that statement? Have any idea what that means? I mean, it's one thing to want to get to know Jesus better, to have a better relationship or a closer relationship with him, but who in their right mind wants to add any more suffering into their lives? I sure don't. What did Paul mean by this? I want to share, I want to learn to share in the sufferings of Jesus. Well, I can tell you with a good degree of certainty that Paul was not talking about suffering or paying the price for his sin. We know somebody else did that for us, right? Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. On the cross, he became the final sacrifice. The scripture says there remains no more sacrifice for sin. In fact, on the cross, just before he died, Jesus said, it is finished, which means paid in full. Jesus paid the price, the full price for our redemption. And so when Paul talks about suffering, he's not talking about sin or the consequence of sin, even though you know there's reckoning for wrong behavior, right? I mean, you know that, right? Like if you jump in a mud puddle nine times out of ten, you're going to get muddy? It's going to happen. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 say, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what he or she sows. The one who sows to please his or her sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. So there is an aftermath of bad behavior. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. I think what Paul wants is to gain additional insight. He wants a better understanding. He wants to learn something. And by watching the way Jesus handled his suffering, Paul was thinking he could gain that, in, that, that insight. He wanted to see how Jesus handled his suffering when he was on the cross. He wanted to share in that suffering. And so to be able to do that, to be able to share in the suffering of Jesus and become more like him in his death, what we have to do is look at the way Jesus acted and behaved on the cross. Because this is what Paul was looking at. This is what Paul wanted to know. Not only did he want to know him, not only did he want to experience the power of his resurrection, but he wanted to get a little bit more acquainted with the way Jesus was able to face his suffering. Because friend, we all have suffering in this world. Every single one of us. And those sufferings can turn us away from God. They can cause us to become bitter. They can stop us dead in our tracks. Or we can look at the way that Jesus responded to his suffering and we can emulate that. And so right off the top of my head, I see that as a part of the suffering of Jesus, he showed great restraint and self-control. He showed great self-control on the cross. Remember in the garden when they came to arrest him, Jesus said to his disciples and to the temple guards, don't you know that I could deploy 12 legions of angels? that could come and fight for me. You know, one legion is 6,000. 
a Roman legion was 6,000 men. 12 legions is 72,000. Do you have any idea how much damage 72,000 angels could accomplish? And just to close out our Hezekiah story, for those of you who might be interested, after Hezekiah prayed, God got involved. And the scripture tells us that that night when the Israelites were sleeping, God sent one angel to the Assyrian camp, just one. And the one angel wiped out 185,000 soldiers. Jesus showed great restraint on the cross. In addition to that, he extended forgiveness, not only to the Roman soldiers who executed him without mercy, but also to the religious leaders who turned him over to Pilate in the first place. First words out of Jesus' mouth as he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Do you know what it takes to respond like that in that situation? Fighting through all of the natural hatred and animosity and anger that must have been trying to take hold of his heart and he extends forgiveness. And then you talk about humility. Jesus was the Son of God. The second person in the Trinity. He willingly came down from heaven to earth as a man to save us. And the scripture says he humbled himself to death. Even death on the cross. So as a part of his suffering that Paul was looking at, not only did uh, he exercise great restraint, extend forgiveness, and not only was it the epitome of humility, but he also expressed many other characteristics and attributes that we could learn from as we face our cycles of suffering as well. And as we bring this message to a close, I wanna mention just one more. It's found in 1 John 19, 26 and 27. On the cross, Jesus looked down, and when he saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that would be John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, behold your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You see, during his own suffering on the cross, Jesus was able to bring comfort to others who were suffering. I'm going to repeat that again. While he suffered on the cross, even during that tremendous emotional pain that he was going through, he was able to bring comfort to other people. I mean, you moms, do you have any idea how difficult it was for Mary to watch her son die that horrendous death on the cross? Any idea? Remember years earlier when she brought Jesus into the temple to dedicate him when he was eight days old? And Simeon was there and he had a prophetic word over Jesus and then he spoke prophetically over Mary? He said, there's a day coming when a sword is going to pierce your own soul. That was fulfilled on that day. And what about John? Referred to as the beloved, the one whom Jesus loved. He leaned his head on John's shoulder. Probably the two of them were the closest friends 
John was probably closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples. Do you know how agonizing it was for John to watch Jesus being nailed to that cross? And yet in the midst of all of that pain and all of that suffering and heartache, everything that he was going through, what was Jesus' message? Community. Becoming a family. He brought the two of them together, his disciple and his mother, and in essence he formed a little support group or what we would call a life group. That's what Jesus had on his mind on the cross during his suffering. And as you've heard a bunch of times already this morning, today is one of our rally days for our life groups. And we have been asking you to get involved in the life group for years and years now. And of course, we want everyone to be involved, especially those of you who've been holding out. You know, there's this guy that comes to our church. He's a really good brother. For the last four or five years, I've said to him, Joe, and that's not his name. <laughs> I said, Joe, you need to join a life group. A life group will help you. You have certain prayer requests. You want to make relationships. You want to connect more with God. A life group will do that for you. Because relationships will help you make some changes. And relationships are what's important when it comes to God. They will help you with everything that you're wanting to do positively for the Lord. But you know, sometimes life groups are not just about us. Sometimes the benefit of a life group isn't designed specifically just for you. There's so much brokenness in the world, so much heaviness and people are hurting Oftentimes, we join a life group so that we can comfort someone else, so that we could be a source of encouragement and blessing and maybe even healing to someone else in the group. So if you've been holding out on life groups, saying, you know, I really don't need it, maybe somebody needs what you have to offer. And when we do that, that's one of the ways that we acknowledge the suffering of Jesus and we're made more in his likeness, and we can relate to the fellowship that Paul was talking about, the fellowship of his sufferings that Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made like him in his death. Let's bow our heads for prayer. What I'm going to do at this time is dismiss the life group leaders and those of you who have assignments upstairs. You can make your way to the mezzanine at this time. We'll be joining you in just a couple of minutes. Everybody else, I just want to take a, a minute and have a closing prayer here. You know, there's a lot of content in today's message, several different themes. And I just want you to focus your attention just for a couple of moments on maybe what might be your takeaway from this message. We talked about the lordship of Jesus. We talked about making a fresh commitment to prayer. We talked about understanding some of the sufferings. And so there was a bunch of things that we talked about today. I just want you to give it a little bit of thought of how it might relate to you and what the Spirit of God might be requesting or suggesting that you do in response to the word. And just before I close out in prayer, I'm wondering if there might also be some people here 
who are not sure whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I mentioned that earlier in passing. Making sure that you have a commitment with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've surrendered your life to him and that he's your savior, the one who has died for your sins, that is the greatest accomplishment you can make in this life. You will want to do that at some point. You will want to make sure that your name is in his book of life. There's no better time to do it than today. And so I want to ask you, under a pretty heavy anointing that I sense here, and it's been that way for the last couple of weeks. We've had seven people so far since the first of the year make commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're just going to keep on this as long as I sense it because this is a powerful thing that the conviction power of the Holy Spirit would be here for you to make your full commitment to God. So if you're not sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you want to be, and you've never done this before, just hold your hand up and leave it up for a minute. Everybody else, just bow your heads for a second. Okay. Leave it up for a second. Appreciate it. Three hands. Any more? Four? Five? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Six. Thank you. What you're saying is that, Lord, I acknowledge my need for a Savior. Just like the Bible says, I'm a sinner like everyone else. And I want to put my trust in the finished work of the cross, everything that we were singing about during the praise and worship time, to know that my sins are forgiven and I'm right with God. Thank you for making that commitment. And so, Lord, we just ask that salvation would come to these six people today. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence in this place. We thank you for the anointing that is available for people to surrender their lives to you. And Lord, we are sorry for our sins. We confess those sins to you. We thank you for going to the cross, becoming the final sacrifice for sin, paying the price for our redemption. Lord, teach us what it means to follow hard after the living God. And Lord, for all the others that are here today, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us Father, we do want to know you. As we enter this new year, Lord, whatever comes our way, whatever bad news or darkness or anything else that we will encounter, whatever comes our way, Lord, we want to know that you're with us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that solid faith where our roots can go down deep and we will not be moved. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. I pray your blessing over your people today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.